What's up? This is the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz, and I'm Seth Mosley. Thanks for being with us this week. We've got a phenomenal guest, Matt Hammett, former frontman of the band Sanctus Real, now solo artist, phenomenally talented songwriter, and just all-around amazing person. This guy has been through a lot over the last 5-10 years, and he's going to share with us a little bit about his personal story today. Honestly, it's been very inspiring for me to have this conversation, and I think it's going to inspire you guys as well, too. If you guys haven't already, head over to musiccontest.co, get your entries in while there's still time. $15,000 prize pack, including a recording and songwriting session with us, with Full Circle Music. And also, make sure you get your tickets to the May 13th Brian Tracy event in Dallas, Texas. I'm going to be there. I'd love to hang out with you. I'll be sharing the stage speaking alongside some pretty powerful speakers like Brian Tracy, Vic Johnson, Darren Hardy, Ron White, and many more. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be inspiring. And the caliber of people that are going to be there are just next level. So come and join me there. Again, that's May 13th through 15th. And go to briantracy3dayevent.com. And in fact, here's my friend Kyle Wilson to tell us a little bit more about the event. Hey everyone, it's Kyle Wilson, Jim Rohn's 18-year business partner. Excited to be with Seth Mosley today. And look, we got the event of the year. It's the Brian Tracy three-day weekend in Dallas, Texas. We got Darren Hardy, we got Vic Johnson, and we got Seth Mosley's going to join us among some other really amazing speakers. Come join us. Go to briantracy3dayevent.com. It's going to be epic, and it only happens once. It's the 20-year anniversary of the Success Mastery Academy, briantracy3dayevent.com. I hope to get to see you guys there. And without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Here's Matt. Got one of my favorite people of all time here in the studio today on the Full Circle Music Show, Matt Hammett. What's up? Formerly of the band Sanctus Real and now doing his own solo record, doing conferences, doing Lead Me Live events, and uh, doing a whole lot more than that. So how are things going, man? Going good, man. It's been an interesting adventure for me over the past few months, stepping away from Sanctus Real and moving into new season of life. So it's been an incredible blessing for our family because I've been home a ton. But yeah. at the same time, you know, even though I'm home more, it has been a lot of work for us, just been a lot of prayer and decision-making, you know, for us, for my wife, Sarah, and I, and our family just deciding and asking the Lord to reveal to us, man, what's the next, what's the next step for yeah. us? You know, how do we balance all these things that we feel called to do or that he's opened up doors for us to do? So we're kind of caught in the middle of that dreaming and planning right now. So it's an exciting time. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're from... Uh little town called Toledo, Ohio, right? Or is it is yeah. it even a smaller town than that? Well, yeah, I grew up in Toledo. So my wife and I were actually both born at the Toledo Hospital. So born and raised, still live in that area. We live in a little town called Perrysburg. It's a little historic town on the river. It's pretty similar to Franklin, Tennessee, which is where we're, we are now. So we love it there. Just really small. Yeah, small town compared to Nashville, of course. But family's there. My parents live about one mile away. Her parents live about a mile away. Her sister lives two miles away. So, and her brother lives a mile away. So we are all like within a mile 
radius of each other. So it's, yeah. been, it's been nice for when I was on the road, especially sure. that my wife had the support that she really needed when I was gone. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've been a part of a lot of really big songs. You've covered in songs even for other artists now. So you're and have been for a while a pretty prolific songwriter, even past what Sanctus Real did. You've been on songs with For King Country, Francesca Battistelli, New Song, Hawk Nelson. Was it always that way? Were you a songwriter before you were an artist? It's interesting because I just talked to my wife about this this morning, how I've always really struggled finding my identity per se and being an artist. So being on stage and performing to me was always more about the connection with people. Like what's at the heart of the words and music, right? So not what's the performance all about, but what's behind that. What's the deeper issue? What are the words and music speaking to our souls and how do we connect over that? And so I was actually evaluating after spending these couple of days here, even with you, you know, and yesterday, some conversations we had, I was really thinking about what were my dreams in life what did they revolve around? And I started like having all these memories of being a kid, you know, looking up to artists whose CDs I had, you know, back then or tape. I don't know. It was a tape or a CD when I was a kid, but I don't know. You, you might not want to reveal. I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember always looking at who wrote the songs, always wanted to be that guy. Like that was what I wanted to be. Like from the time I was like, young when it came to music and so it's interesting because my dreams never revolved around being on stage even though that's what like the lord has done with my life and and career but it started i actually picked up a guitar so i could write songs ended up singing you know kind of as a result of that and those doors kept opening but i've enjoyed being an artist because of that hands-on ministry opportunities that i get to like be with people talk with people share with people that experience of being in a room with other people who are anticipating something that's going to happen that revolves around, you know, those words of music. Like that to me is a really powerful moment, but at the core of that, I never forget that it's a song. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I love aspects of being an artist, but I'd say behind it all, I've always, always been song driven yeah. from the very beginning. So you would say that why you're in music is because of songs. Absolutely. I mean, without a doubt. Yeah. Because a lot of people, you know, for those of you listening out there, not all artists write their own songs and are the lead writer, so to speak, for their records. And that might be a shocker, but it's not to say better or worse. It's just to say some people are born to be performers. Some are born to be writers. Some are born to be singers what you know whatever yeah. it is and matt is one of the rare few that you know have come through the studio that just constantly brings in great songs and i oh, think that's what's you. given you and will continue to give you a lasting career let's go back grassroots a little bit what was kind of your first entry into music was it something you grew up in or well i remember my brother was in pep band <laughs> When I was in junior high, right? So I was in junior high. He was in, in high school, I believe, at the time. And I just thought it was so cool they were doing music. And so I picked up a trumpet. That was the first instrument I actually learned how to play. It did not last long because <laughs> a couple years later, I discovered the guitar. 
you know, nothing against the trumpet players out there, of mm. course. Mm-hmm. However, my brother picked up an acoustic guitar. I used to hear him playing in his bedroom. It was like immediately I just thought, that's cool. I want to I learn. And he taught me the basic chords as he learned them. And I was like right away, again, I didn't care as much about like whether I could shred on it. I was just like, this was a means for me to like, I just immediately started singing to it, right? It was like, this was a means for me to write music. This is a means for me to put, again, put my words into music and in melody. And so I think I was 15 and the very first full song I ever wrote was called Coffee of Life. Very <laughs> profound. And Do you remember it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you sing it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> now? Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, but it's funny because I've actually, it became the song that really propelled our independent career, Sanctus Real. It was the fan favorite. And it was like the first song I'd ever written. And I think just because whatever it was that I put into that song, because I was so excited to write a song for the first time, regardless of the content of that song, you know, it's kind of clever. It's actually a really catchy song. I still play it live when I'm in Toledo and people still know it. Yeah, It's just weird, you know? But I think that mysterious thing about music and song for me, the most beautiful thing about it is that, so I've got this first song I write. It's not the greatest song in the world. It's super simple, but there's some spirit in it. There's some energy in it. There's some piece of my soul in this thing that translates to people. And that's the crazy thing about music to me is that you transfer an experience that you are having. And when you really tap into a place where you're willing to put your heart in it in a way that nobody can probably even articulate Mm -hmm. beyond what the words are saying, that's almost like a message in a bottle. You send it out on the sea and someone finds it and they open it. And it's like, they get to feel an experience a form of the very same thing you put into it when you wrote it. It's a profound mystery, and it's it's one of the greatest joys of my life. Yeah, that's awesome. And maybe I say, too, maybe that's why the artist part, you know, still excites me, even though that wasn't my initial dream, because what I get to do is not only write these songs, but then with the ones that I write, that I get to perform, when I go out, I see that happen. And so it's almost like it's pardon, you know, the, uh, the phrase being that I'm here, but it comes full circle, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Snare symbol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. I mean, for a lot of people listening out there who maybe just want to be songwriters, I mean, a lot of people don't realize kind of the game that goes into it. I mean, it used to be kind of the thing where you would write a song and you'd pitch it to an A&R person. They'd put it on hold. They'd play you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 songs for their artists in a song meeting, and then they'd pick the best ones. Yeah, It doesn't so much happen like that anymore. You're either the artist who's writing or you're writing with the artist for their project. I think country might be a little bit different where, you know, some artists still cut outside songs, but for what Matt's saying here, that's pretty profound. He's getting to write the songs and directly experience the impact of those songs. Yeah, For us who are songwriters who are kind of sitting in a writer's room or a studio all day or your bedroom even, you know, wherever you write your songs, you don't always get to see how they impact people live. You don't always get to hear the stories. So I can totally understand. Yeah. I can understand that, you know, cause you're 
getting to have those people come up to you afterwards and yeah. ask you questions and say, Hey, where can I get that? You know, can I hear it again? And so I think that's pretty powerful. So backing up, your brother taught you to play guitar. When did Sanctus Real start? So yeah, I guess I was started playing guitar, writing those songs when I was fifteen, and then I met Chris Roman, who is still the guitar player for Sanctus Real, and Mark Grauman, who's also still the drummer. When I was probably about fifteen and a half, maybe sixteen, is when we really started getting together and making music. Chris and I were leading, well, helping lead a chapel service at our school. We went to a private Christian school. Every, you know, I think it was Wednesday in the morning, we would get to play with the chapel band. And at that time, I actually was playing drums for the band because that's what was needed. And we first started Sanctus Real. Well, I guess we hadn't named it Sanctus Real yet. We had a variety of really terrible names. <laughs> what was the first, do you know the first uh, band name? You remember? Chocolate Moose. Chocolate Moose. Yeah, it's really, that's a great, great name, huh? Like M-O-O-S-E? Oh, no. M-O-U-S-E? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or M-O-U-S-S-E. Yeah, yeah, S-S-E, yeah. 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 <laughs> Clever, right? That's amazing. Um, and then the second one was down at 16. Like, we're down and we're 16. But, but the problem with that is you can only be 16 for so long, right? right? Yeah, what happens when you're 17? You, you know? keep changing so, the band name. And I always played drums for that band, and we ended up doing a lineup change. Our singer left the band, and then the guys were like, well, Matt, you can sing, and you can write, so why don't you sing? You know, because I was helping write the songs. So I was like, okay, cool. And that's how I became, that's technically how I became a singer in the band. So just kind of always, like I said, feeling, you know, I know you're very servant-minded in what you do, Seth, and I think I've, I've always been the same way. Like, okay, you need a drummer, I'll serve and be the drummer. Okay, you need a singer, I'll serve and be a singer. Yeah. It less than really, I guess, what my dream is. It's just kind of being available to serve however I can. And and that's how Sanctus Real started. November of 1996, we kind of felt like the lineup was solid and we were loving writing and playing music together. And that's when we named the band. So yeah. it's been 20 years. That's fantastic. And you signed a record deal probably not too long after that, right? With Sparrow Records? Yeah. So we were... I want to say 19 or 20. Actually, actually, the very first time we realized that we could probably, or that we should keep going, and we could probably work with a label and actually do this thing full time, was when we were 19, the band Audio Adrenaline took us under their wings. And you know, Mark Stewart and Will McGinnis and those guys wanted us to sign to their record label, and that didn't work out, but it really just really helped us along our journey. And we're really grateful to them for them kind of mentoring us through that time. But by the time we were 20, 21, we had gone down and done an independent album with a guy named Skid Mills, who is a producer and engineer at Ardent Studios in Memphis, Tennessee. And at that time, you know, there were bands like Three Doors Down had their huge kryptonite single, right? Like that kind of came from that group of guys over there at Ardent. So we were like, you know, we weren't the same style of music, but we were like, man, this is a legit studio. We went there, made that album. It was called Nothing to Lose. It was our last independent album, and that's what ultimately ended up getting us signed with Sparrow. But we had a lot of label interest during that time, multiple labels kind of coming around and wanting to work with us. And so I think that was just like our confirmation that, yeah, this is something we need to keep moving forward with. Yeah, and you've done seven records with the label. Yeah. Back up to... Did you say that was 
what year would you have signed your first record deal? So we were working on our first album, Say It Loud, in 2001. Okay. Yeah, and then I think we actually technically signed our deal in 2002. Okay. So let's back up to that time. If you can put yourself in that 15 years ago, is there anything that stands out that you'd kind of do differently if you had to go back and do it all over again? You know, it's interesting because I've always been one to not really regret the past as much as I am grateful for even the negative things and what they've taught me, you know? I think if I went back knowing what I know now, I don't know, it's because it's not possible, I guess I can't, uh, <laughs> you know, I can't can't think of what I'd do different. I just look at it and I go, man, I'll tell you this, it, it was really interesting growing up through my 20s on the road full time, you know, with other bands and I learned to see the world in such a, I think, interesting way, you know, and, and met so many great people who helped us along the way. And I, we learned so many lessons. And I, I honestly think I'm grateful for every one of those lessons. Well, I'm still learning those lessons and they're still making me who I am today. But I mean, I made plenty of stupid 20-year-old decisions, you know, and, yeah. and just didn't know how to always. Actually, you know what? I will say one thing. I was kind of fishing in my head, okay, what would I do differently if I could go back? Sure. I think if there's one thing that seemed fashionable, per se, or common amongst bands throughout, especially the early days of our career, where a lot of bands kind of, you know, smack-talked each other. Like, not, but in a way where you could kind of be like, trying to justify that you were doing it, right? Like, oh, their style or their sound or their songs. or, And it all came out of insecurity, really, because you're like so worried that the world won't accept what you do. And so it's so easy for us and for other bands. And it was like, I heard it all the time. This band sits and, you know, kind of makes the little comment about the other band or this band thinks they're better than that band or my art's better than your art or we're more legit, or right? Like, even if you're like, technically good guys you love god or you're christian guys christian artists that kind of stuff still went on and i look back and i think man i wish that i never would have been a part of any conversation like that i wish that I always would have been loving and serving and uplifting even in private conversation when it came to other artists and that i would have had you know as enough respect for every type of artist in every genre who was working just as hard as I was to accomplish their dreams and to follow what they felt called to do that I just would have, you know, stood up more for that and been more of a voice of encouragement, you know, even where people couldn't see me, you know? And so, and, 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 you know, it's been a long time since it's been that way, but if I can look back at one thing I would change, I think it would be, having my focus been more on drawing the community of artists together with a sincere heart for building people up and building people together no matter what style or genre or what I personally thought about their art, right? So I think that's the way it should be. Well, that's phenomenal. And I think that's one thing, ever since I've known you, I've never known you to be a person. Because even back in my touring days, I mean, you took my little crappy band out on the road. And <laughs> yeah, like, right. I never remember you being one of those guys that 
because yeah, you you do hear it. It's not just in music; it's in anything in life. I mean, there's a group of people that just never seem to have anything positive to say, and there's yeah. a group of people that just try to edify each other. Yeah. And I think that's where we've always been sort of kindred hearts in the sense that it's really not about competition. It's more yep. about collaboration. Absolutely. 100%. And how can you, I mean, we're all on the same team. Yeah. You know, so I think that's, you know, to listeners out there, that's about the most incredible word of advice that we can get for today. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. It's funny you bring up that tour we did together because I think if I'm remembering correctly, like you were working on the God's Not Dead album on a laptop yeah. on the bus on the road during that tour. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, like, man, that's crazy. Like, because we didn't know each other that well. But I remember thinking, man, that is crazy. This guy's working on the Newsboys record on his laptop, you know, on the bus, on this tour. And I remember being so curious about, you know, that situation and how that happened. And now I know that whole story, but, and, and what it was going to sound like, you know, and then it goes on to be this really big song and, and big album for those guys and kind of a reinvention for them. And it's been really cool. Yeah. When I look back at at those days, seeing what God's done since then in your life. Sure. And it's really, really been neat to watch. Well, I mean, you, you know, it's every little word spoken is a seed sown. And I mean, I think a lot of that came from you and your leadership on that tour. I think there's even one story. I don't even know if you remember this or not, but I think we were in Arizona or something and our band was like as broke as anything, <laughs> even, <laughs> even working on Newsboys record at the time. I was, I mean, me and my wife were, you know, pretty much just scraping by. Yeah. But you gave us like $300 as like a, hey, I just feel like I was supposed to give this to you for gas or something. And, and to me, that stuck with me, honestly, for a long time after that. And from there out, I was like, wow. So this is a band we're touring with. Not only is it not competitive, it's collaborative and it's you're you know helping us setting us up to win by doing that so wow, i man, think that really went cool. a long way i, I didn't remember yeah. that it's really cool yeah it's cool to hear man because you you do you try to encourage people along the way you know and I, i'll never remember i'll never know the ways that you know on any given day i've encouraged somebody and when you get to hear like wow hey you did this and it made a difference i mean dude yeah. that's I really appreciate you sharing that with me. Yeah, yeah, it's small, you know. That's awesome. But you talk about that God's Not Dead record. I mean, this was before we kind of ever knew it was going to be a movie, and yeah. let alone two movies. The second one just, <laughs> yeah. just came out in theaters last right. week, and it's getting even better reviews than the first one. But the first one has went on to gross over $62 million, wow. which is crazy for... Unbelievable. I mean, any movie, let alone a Christian film. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, it's... It, we were able to do that whole thing just on a laptop and green rooms and wherever, just kind of make it work. So, yeah, um, that's crazy. And that's something I've noticed that you as a songwriter have gotten really actually very good at the, you know, knowing your gear and knowing the production and learning logic and learning sounds. If you're a new songwriter or a new producer or a new artist, is that an important skill set to have? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, I remember coming to Nashville before we had written much with you even and going to write with Jason Ingram. And there were a couple other other writers we worked with, but you know, not a, there's not a lot of writers who really can make a great demo. 
But Jason was always somebody who he had enough skills and enough people around him that he knew how to put a demo together that really captured, even though they were simple, they really did capture kind of at least the essence and heart of the song. And so I remember being with him going like, man, I've really got to step it up, you know? And I think when I took the challenge after being with him to step it up myself and learn, at least I got to learn what Jason does. I've got to do at least that much. It really went really far in me being able to communicate my creative ideas to a producer or to other writers or to the band. And or, then, or to the label. Yeah, yeah, especially to the label. And then, honestly, I mean, we all know Jason's like a, one of the greatest songwriters there is. Mm-hmm. But when I mean, the first time we wrote together, we wrote a song called Nothing Between. And I remember on a production level, just the way you worked, I was like, there was even another level there that you put into the actual recording. And I remember like being like, oh man, I thought I had to step it up with the production stuff after working with Jason. And then I saw Mosley and I'm like, man, this guy's like putting so much into the production. And I remember thinking like, I want to do that. You know, I want, I want to step it up. So it's funny because you actually had a pretty big impact on me even that first time going like, wow. I've got to step it up, man. I've really got to learn more. And again, after that point, I noticed yet another, as I did, strive to step it up in my skills in the studio and for the sake of serving the song, for the sake of, you know, packaging the song in a way that communicates the heart of it. um, Again, I noticed even more response to the songs that I was working on with other people and with the band. And so it is, because that's the one thing, right? Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I've got this song I want you to hear. And you're like, okay, well, do you have like a, a recording of it? And it's like a lot of songwriters or people aspiring songwriters haven't really learned how to even use a recording program. And so you're like, you know, it's, uh, I want to say duh, but <laughs> like if they haven't learned it yet, right? Yeah, I like yeah. try to put this in simple terms. Yeah, um, sure. But yeah, it is. It's so incredibly important to learn how to communicate just beyond words. Yeah. I mean, your demos are great. Yeah. Thanks, man. We, we were listening through some new stuff, which I think, you know, as we're talking about, I mean, there's nothing set in stone, but you're working on something new. Yeah. And we were kind of listening through some songs that you had done yesterday, and demos are great. The vocals sound great. Everything sounds cool. great. But yeah, back to your original point, it's like, it's so important to have those skills. Yeah. And I also love what you've done in the sense where you've partnered with other people. You, I know not everybody can like pay a team of people, obviously, to be doing that stuff. Sure. God's blessed you to a point where you can do that. However, I always encourage aspiring songwriters and musicians to find a group of people to collaborate with who do have interest in those types of skills. You know, get with somebody who has interest in studio work or sound work and and write with them and pull them, collaborate, be a part of a community yeah. of not just artists and writers, but people who love music and want yeah. to serve in other ways. Well, it's a win-win. I, I, yeah. I'm glad you touched on that because a lot of people, that's, you know, we'll get emails all the time of like, where do I even start? Can I co-write with you? Like, can I come to Nashville? And to be honest, I mean, if we said yes to every one of those things that came in, we would, it just would be endless, you know? Yeah. But the answer is, you really don't have to go out and hire a team of people. That's why it's collaboration. You're, yep. you know, maybe you're the track guy, or you can work logic really well, partner with a good lyric and a melody person, or exactly with an artist or somebody who's going to get the songs out there. 
And that's not you saying, hey, I'm going to pay you to do this. That's you and the other parties creating a win-win scenario. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad you touched on that. As we're kind of wrapping up, I wanted to talk a little bit more, if you're open to it, talk about your kind of your family life and your personal story a little bit for a lot of the people out there who maybe don't know it, but I feel like it's the reason why so many good songs come out of you is because you've been through and lived a lot of life between yeah. the band thing and uh, getting married and having kids and all of that. Do you care to kind of share what you and your wife, Sarah, went through in, back in 2010? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'll very quickly throw it back even further than that. You know, I met my wife in, I want to say, 1999 when I was like barely, I wasn't even 20, barely 20 years old. And, you know, we got married in 2001. So we got married right away. I didn't go to college. So we got married and went on the road. And so, common theme here on the show. He didn't go to college. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Sorry. sorry yeah. Sorry all you uh, <laughs> college folks. If you're <laughs> getting a degree, keep plugging away. Yeah. But yeah, so we just hopped on the road, man. And, and we were on some pretty big tours right away with some great artists. And my wife was with me. We were in a van and trailer. We completely broke. And so we went through a lot in even those first years, just learning how to be married and survive in the kind of lifestyle we were living and if I'm really honest, I mean, it did put a lot of strain on our marriage and relationship. And, you know, we were committed to each other. We were committed to working it out all the way, even when it was hard, but it was hard. And I would say around our seven year mark or so, my wife really just came to me and she was like, man, I, I need you to be a better leader to me, not just, you know, as a provider, but like emotionally, you're here, but you're not here. Your mind's other places. I need you to be present. I need you to understand me. I need you to be engaged spiritually. I mean, she called me really pretty straight. Like, when's the last time you consistently prayed with me? When's the last time you consistently did devotions and read with me or just helped guide me, you know, closer to God and to you in this relationship? And it hit me so hard. I was like, Man, it was hard to take because we were in a point where there were some walls between us we were trying to work through communication-wise. I was probably feeling defensive at the time in a lot of those kinds of conversations. And something about the way that she framed it that day really got through to me. And I remember she got up after this conversation, and I remember looking at our wedding photo that was sitting next to me on the table. And, you know, she looked beautiful, of course. She had her makeup perfect and her hair perfect, right? Beautiful dress. But that's not what struck me. The thing that struck me was the look on her face was a look full of hope for the future, glowing countenance. And I remember thinking, that's not the woman I see sitting in front of me right now. And somehow I'm responsible for crushing this woman's spirit in a way. Mm -hmm. My job was to lead this woman on this path, right? and help her flourish. And instead I've done the very opposite, but I didn't even mean to. How did I do that? What did I do wrong, right? And that very day I picked up my guitar and wrote the first draft of our biggest song, which is Lead Me. And to this day it gets played all over the world, you know, as a recurrent play on, on radio stations every day. And it's crazy how that song has done a work in us personally, because it was actually the song that propelled my career with Sanctus Real to its peak. But then it was also the song 
that ended up ending my career with Sanctus Real because every night when I sang that song, it spoke right back to me. It was like I remember wow. being on Winter Jam 2012, 10,000 plus people a night in an arena. We were playing right before Skillet every night. And I just remember everybody in that arena every single night knew every word of that song, I felt like. Wow. It was so loud. And we get to that bridge. So Father, give me the strength to be everything I'm called to be. You know, when it kind of the music breaks and you hear 10,000 voices singing that back to you every night, it was literally like speaking to me and I'm going, it's great I'm singing this song, but what the heck am I doing right now with my life? Like I have 10,000 people singing this song. I'm the guy who wrote it. I'm the guy up here they're all looking at. And mm. I don't even think I'm living this right. Wow. And so, <laughs> man, it's just crazy, you know, from that, what transpired after that we had a lot of so other songs you know that kind of did well of course the time we had 14 singles that were either number one or top five but that song by far had the most impact and you know that was right before honestly even my son bowen when that song came out in 2010 my son bowen was diagnosed with heart disease and my wife and i spent six months in a hospital went through two open heart surgeries with him and so there's just been a lot of struggles along the way for us. And I've had to decide, you know, in that as pursuing a career, you know, what the most important thing is. And ultimately for me, I knew that God was calling me to not just make him the ultimate priority in my life, but to also live what I was singing would lead me and put my family first. And that caused a major restructuring of my life and my priorities, which ultimately have led me to a place to where now where I've stepped out of Sanctus Real so that I can be with my family more. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I have watched my family life and my relationship with my children flourish many times over wow. just in a few months to be better and stronger and more full of joy than I ever imagined that yeah. it could be. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And honestly, as songwriters, those are the type of songs that we should be writing is the ones that convict ourselves of what we're struggling with. Yeah. And so many times we're just kind of afraid to put those things on paper because we're afraid they'll actually kind of come true and come back to us. And <laughs> that was the first time I've ever heard anybody say it like you did, where literally it was the song that kind of <laughs> got you out of it. But I think that's fantastic. And that's really convicting to me and I think to a lot of people out there. I'm kind of a podcast junkie myself, and I noticed that you have one yourself too called the Lead Me Lifecast. Yeah, so part of this whole journey that my wife and I have been on since I've left the band are two things. We started these conferences called Lead Me Live, you know, this one-day men's conference where we help guys become better leaders at home. Our little slogan is, who you are at home makes all the difference in the world. And so... That's just, fantastic. Yeah, so practical, foundational, also spiritual steps that men can take to move from being basically men of good intention to men of action as the leaders of their home. And so the podcast is really the same thing. Um, you know, we actually did 32 episodes and kind of the first phase of it, I've just kind of like rebooted it a little bit in a different format, but it's called the Lead Me Lifecast. You can find it on iTunes or SoundCloud. That's fantastic. Everybody make sure to check out that show. Go leave him a good rating and review. That helps a lot. And I'm going to listen to that tonight. So Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. So I'm on your page, bowensheart.com. That's B-O-W-E-N-S heart.com. It talks about the Whole Hearts Foundation. What yeah. exactly is that? Yeah, so 
after our son was diagnosed and born with heart disease, 2010, we actually, I will say too, from April, 2010 to September of 2010, that was the time period in which he was diagnosed in utero in my wife's belly during an ultrasound. And then we had several months to wait till he was born and we didn't know what was going to happen, whether he'd even live or not. Wow. And during that time, I wrote a solo album called Every Falling Tear. And not only did I write that album as a journal of what I was experiencing at the time, but we wrote a blog called Bowen's Heart. And that's kind of where that blog came from. So we blogged, we wrote music and out of that time, we connected with so many people from all around the world, not only who were supporting us through that journey, but we also began, even before we got in the hospital, to see the need that there was with other families who were dealing with the same issue. And so once we got into the hospital, the six months that we spent there over the course of kind of the end of 2010 into 2011, we were so closely connected with so many families who were struggling with their children having heart disease. And a lot of times they weren't happy stories. Obviously a lot of kids we saw pass away and there were also a lot of people who were struggling to even pay their bills because they were in the hospital at their kid's bedside. So what we decided to do was through Whole Hearts Foundation, find a way, you know, it's not a big organization, you know, we're not an organization raising hundreds of thousands of dollars, but we have some key donors who help us basically help pay bills for families who, you know, are struggling financially because they just need to be there for their kids. They got to take time off work. You know, we've helped single moms with kids with heart disease. We've paid for funerals. You know, we actually had University of Michigan call us and let us know that there was a family whose daughter passed away. They had her body in their car and they couldn't even afford their gas to get to where they needed to go. And they had no idea how they're going to pay for a funeral. They called us and asked us if we were willing to help contribute. And we were able to say, we'll pay for the funeral and give the family $1,000, you know? And so just being able to do those kinds of things for people is such a incredible experience for us to be able to just, that's what it's all about, you know? And we've just found so much joy in that work. And the Lord's really blessed us on our path that the support we've gotten from Bo and we've been able to pay that forward. Well, that's phenomenal. I, I love that your whole attitude comes back to how can I serve, and that's you know that's a common theme on Full Circle Music Show. That's a common theme in our company and just how we like to do things. So uh, thank you for serving us and serving our listeners by taking the time yeah. to do this today. Absolutely. I think a common theme amongst creative people is who's going to discover me, who's going to do this for me, who's going to do that for me, right? I think every artist at some point in their immaturity, and I don't say immaturity in a demeaning way because we all have immaturities, and we've all had immaturities, we all still have them, and we're all still trying to change our mindsets and grow. But I think especially with young musicians, who's the guy, who's the label that's going to come grab me and turn me into a star? And I think... That's why it's so powerful what you're trying to say on the show about people like not like it's the investor versus the consumer mindset. It's not what I can get. It's what I can give. And when, yeah, when you serve and you have an investing mindset and everything that you do, how can I invest in this process? How can I invest in other people? That's really the way that regardless of what kind of success you have, you're going to find fulfillment in the work and in the relationships that you have along the way. 
Well, that's fantastic, man. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah, thanks again for being here today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Head over to iTunes, leave us a good rating and a good review. Check us out on fullcirclemusic.org and make sure you get your tickets to the Brian Tracy three-day event at briantracy3dayevent.com. Produced by the Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Jericho Scroggins and Kaylee Ingram. We'll see you next week.